Okay, we come to week two of our discussion of John Brown of Wamfrey's book, A Pious and Elaborate Treatise Concerning Prayer and the Answer of Prayer. We're going to be looking at chapter two, Prerequisites to Prayer. The scripture uh, quote that really is informing this book uh, and I'll be reading it every week as long as we're going through this book is John 14, 13, and 14. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, last time we uh, discussed some of the introductory points. He sort of gave us a sense of, of direction where he wants to take the discussion. Uh, he gave us a sense of those words. And now he wants us to consider those things which are prerequisite to the duty of prayer. And make no mistake, Brown understands prayer to be a duty. Now, it's, it's a duty like any other duty of religion there is the command, uh, but any command is really only obeyed in the spirit of the command when you undertake to do it voluntarily. So he wants you to understand what is involved, and he wants you to uh, give yourself over to the voluntary pursuit of prayer. And um, so we're going to be looking at these prerequisites. Um, this chapter is not as long as some. Uh, some weeks we're going to be spending more, some less time. This will probably be a little shorter than what we talked about last week. But um, nonetheless, there are a lot of points. Every chapter, even the shorter chapters, have a lot of very important points and we really need to consider what he is uh, telling us. And especially here, you know, prerequisite. What is a prerequisite? It's something that has to be uh, in place before you're going to perform that duty. So Brown wants to give you a sense of what it is you need to... Um, to think uh, what it is you need to uh, have sort of fixed as your purpose when you go to prayer. If you don't have that, you're not really going to be performing the duty of prayer. So it's important that we have a sense of where this is all going. Right? Prerequisite uh, is... <clears throat> is a prerequisite precisely because it is going to point us in the proper direction when we go about that duty. You know, we could just start walking, but if we don't have any direction, we could end up anywhere. The point of prayer is not simply to, to pray, but to pray with purpose. And, and that means we have to have 
certain things in place as we go to prayer. So, uh, excuse me, uh, Brown of Wamfrey wants us to to consider those kinds of things, to have fixed in our mind what you know why why we're praying, what we're what we're trying to accomplish, what we're uh, what we're being called to do, you know, what the end in vision in prayer really is, and so on. So. Question 21, what is the first thing to be considered? Brown says the first thing, um, he says when we come to, to speak of the duty of prayer, uh, he, he says that um, when Christ tells his disciples, whatever they are going to ask in his name, he'll do it. <clears throat> it presupposes the exercise in asking. And he encourages that by annexing to that a promise. Right? So, when we think about prayer... What he's saying is, uh, there is implied in that, we're being told that it's, it's a legitimate thing for us to petition the Lord, to ask. Moreover, we're encouraged to do that by the annexing of a promise, right? that he's going to do... Uh, whatever. Now, this 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 promise of, of you know, if you ask, you will receive. That's yeah. given to all men, correct? Because e even the unregenerate, when, when they're when they're as they're being converted, they grab hold of that promise, right? And and then they receive. Yeah, the fact is, it, the the promise to ask is um, there is some sense in which. This is known to everyone, right? Everywhere you go, uh, I think light of nature teaches men to call upon God. So at the asking part uh, may be um, maybe something you find in natural religion. I'm not so sure about the promise, though. That's next. Because that's only for those who have faith. Yeah, the promise is really going to be something you you can only grasp that by faith. Mm -hmm. Because it's a difference in knowing that you need God versus knowing He'll answer you. Yes, and and the the dependent the, the idea that we are utterly dependent upon God is going to drive us to conclude, well, if we're utterly dependent, we we have to be able to ask. Now, the difference here is this. In, in the covenant of grace, Jesus is telling us, he's confirming to us that that, that um, sense of dependency is, is both legitimate and the asking is a lawful exercise. Right? I'm not, again, I'm not sure that the heathen could ever have uh, a sense of assurance that 
they're in the okay. I, and I, I suspect that that's one reason, at least, why all of these heathen religions tend to tie to prayer the idea of sacrifice. But Christ has made that for us, right? So it's not that it's an unwarranted um, addition to the idea of asking, that we need to do so together with some kind of sacrifice. But, again, we don't know, we, we don't even know what kind of sacrifice would be acceptable to God in our fallen state. So we, we may struggle with that. We may recognize those things, but we don't have the capacity to carry it out in the way that we ought. And that, that's not because of a lack of, of uh, clarity, again, in the revelation, the general revelation. It's a matter of the... Um, the fallen effects or the, the effects of the fall, I should say, on our thinking and, and meditating on that. How we interpret, how we uh, make application of, of these things that we know. Men, fallen men are always, always uh, concluding the wrong thing. Even if they have correct premises their their reasoning upon them uh, is always deeply flawed. And that's not to say that reason itself is flawed. It's to say their reasoning is flawed. Right? Fallen man's reasoning. Because the exercise of reason that Christ has is the same... Um, without sin. Right, so sin is basically drawing men to all kinds of wrong conclusions. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that sin has so corrupted your affections. You're wrongly affected toward the truth. And being wrongly affected toward the truth leads you uh, because men are self-deceived, it leads you to, uh, I, I would say deliberately, even if it's not consciously, you're deliberately misreasoning. You don't, you don't want to get to that conclusion. The conclusion is not a good one. <clears throat> and even the heathen know that. All right, look, 22, what three things have we spoken to on occasion of this? Uh, these, there are three things he says he wants to uh, talk about in light of this idea that Christ presupposes uh, an asking in the exercise of prayer and an exercise of promise. So the first thing, A, he says... He wants to consider or have occasion to speak to what the work and exercise of prayer or asking actually is. What it is. <clears throat> the second 
B, he wants to speak to the fact that asking or praying is the necessary and unquestionable duty of the children of God. And he says it's presupposed here, what Christ says in John 14. <clears throat> and then third, or C, he wants to speak to this. Even though it's a duty, nevertheless, and, he, and again, he's deriving this from what Jesus says by annexing a promise, people stand in need of encouragement and some kind of excitement to prayer. Right, so it's possible, for example, God would have said, or Jesus would have said to us, you know, pray, and left it at that. Not promised any result, right? We could ask all day long. Go on and on and on about what's bugging us, what we hope to... Um, hope to achieve without any promise that we would achieve it. Yeah. So the Jews understood the idea of prayer, right? It's just Christ is telling them to pray in my name now that in, in, in virtue of what I'm going to do. Is that correct? Yeah, they, they understood I, I think they understood a lot more than, than that. I mean, they understood that they had to pray in faith and they understood they, they should have, certainly, they should have understood that there were promises annexed to prayer. And when Jesus does that, when he makes that comment, um, we, we need to remember that uh, when he teaches the disciples to pray, every, <clears throat> every teacher sent of God um, generally would teach his disciples at some point they would get into the matter of prayer. How do we pray? Okay, Because ultimately uh, prayer is that communing with God that you're, you're tr you know, one of the things you're trying to achieve in the context of true religion. Uh, it's not simply about um, thinking right, rightly um, concerning divine things or, or other things. It, it has to do with being rightly affected toward that truth. And that, that, has, um, that has ramifications with respect to your uh, communing and relations to God and to me. All right. <clears throat> in order, uh, 23, in order to the clearing of the first, that is the work and exercise of prayer, um, what two things are to be taken notice of? So he says, first of all, a, 
says we need to uh, take notice of what this duty and exercise of asking or praying imports or presupposes. So what does it what does it import? What does it presuppose? Pray. <clears throat> if we want to know what prayer, uh, what the work and exercise of prayer is, we need to know what it imports or presupposes. The second thing, B, is that we need to inquire into the proper nature and essence of prayer. So, both are necessary. So, taking then the first, um, <clears throat> 24, what does he asking in prayer import or presuppose? He says that um, that this duty of asking imports or presupposes um, a necessity that we speak to it in the first place. That we can understand the ground and um, the proper excitement to it is what he calls it. All right, second or B... He says then that this presupposes something on the Lord's part and something on our part. <clears throat> and that's what he wants to address next. So... Uh, twenty in twenty five, we're going to look at the three things presupposed on the Lord's part, and then in twenty six, five things presupposed on our part. So there are there are he says three things presupposed on the part of the Lord. The first is this. <clears throat> the first is that. God to whom the prayer is to be made, the, the one uh, of whom we are asking, is all-sufficient. He's able to supply all of our wants, all our necessities, that he's able to make an answer to whatever it is we're asking. Right, that's the first thing, A. B, 25.2, second thing, presupposed. 
So it's great, right, uh, if God is able, but the, the second point here is it presupposes that he's willing. And this is important, uh, that it presupposes God re- to be ready and willing to communicate the good whereof he's the inexhaustible fountain. There's the idea that there is a richness in his goodness and a bounty that he is most willing, ready and willing, to communicate to the one who's asking or praying. So God is able. God is willing. But the third thing, see, the third thing it presupposes about the Lord is this. God has appointed prayer, the asking of prayer, as the way for us to receive his goodness and bounty. And he says, look, it's true, God, you know, gives many things to us freely. Our being, uh, there, there are all kinds of things that he bestows upon us most freely. The problem is this, and, and he, he sort of uh, bumps into this. God bestows of his goodness on the elect and the reprobate, on believers and unbelievers, on the righteous and the wicked. So, as we say, the first point, God is able. second point, God is willing. But this third point is particularly important. Although all men are commanded to pray, God doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked. Right? So if we pray and we we receive an answer to prayer, there is a separation going on. There is a kind of um, discrimination going on where God is showing particular favor. Right, so there's a general disposition, favorable disposition of God toward his creation. Right? Whether fallen and, and in unbelief or not, God has, um, uh, the theologians talk about the benevolence of God. There is a general good will toward the creature as creature. So he is merciful and generous and and bountiful toward the creature and, and you know he makes the sun uh, to rise on the evil and on the good. Even to the heathen who don't know him. Or yet for the right. good of the church. Right. 
but it's when God appoints prayer as a way to receive his bounty. When we pray, we are entering into... Uh, we're entering into a dynamic, a covenant dynamic, that allows us to receive the bounties of God as answer to prayer and not simply as this general display. So there, there's a particularization and there is a personalization that comes over providence when we begin to pray. It's lacking to, you know, and, and he's not really getting into all of that in this point, but he's alluding to this. And, and it's true. There's something lacking to um, to the reprobate or to the unbeliever or to the non-elect or uh, to the wicked. You know, they may receive many good things in this life, but they don't receive these things from God as he's the God of grace who's promised to reward their prayer. They receive them as the common bounty of, of the good God. And they really don't have any right to conclude anything more from that. Whereas when we get an answer to prayer, and we're going to see this further on in the, in, in the book, we have a warrant to conclude certain things from that. And so it's important then, this, this presupposition three here, that God has appointed prayer and asking as the way to receive his goodness. I mean, think about it. If you don't pray and you receive the goodness of God, you really don't have any reason to conclude that God is being merciful to you, particularly. You just have reason to conclude God is good. right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a believer. Or that God is good to you in the way that you need him to be in order to be saved. So God's love of benevolence is love of complacence that is, is going to be important on Judgment Day. That he uh, has a, a love that, that um, uh, approves. You, you, you enter into the approving will of God. That's what you're doing by praying. You're receiving the bounty of God in the approving will of God. How do you know you're doing it that way? God told you to do it this way. Jesus tells you, do it this way. Does that mean if you stop praying, God may turn away the bounty? Um, uh, maybe. But will he turn it away entirely? Probably not. There's a general uh, benevolence. And, and in fact, actually, you know, if you're not praying and things are going well for you, that's, that actually is its own degree of, or should form its own degree of concern. Because God has told you to pray and 
you know, receiving general the general beneficence of God uh, in in that manner is is to court eternal disaster because God, in fact, has commanded us to do that. So let's look at the five things in number twenty six. Uh, the five things presupposed on our part. Uh, the first, and this is, I, I think, um, should be pretty obvious, but the first thing is we're poor, indigent souls, and we stand in need of many things, both for soul and body. And he talks about uh, we we are filled with defects. We're filled with with uh, misery and imperfection and uh, we face temptation and opposition and uh, it just ev- everything is is against us. So we are poor indigent souls needing all of this um, that you know that we've been told to ask, in prayer. The second thing, and this is really, um, I think, a corollary to the first point, is not only are we, you know, poor, cast down, uh, indigent sinners. We can't. The second point is we can't help ourselves. We can't remedy. The evils, we can't prevent them, we can't withstand them, we can't repel them. We don't have any sufficiency in and of ourselves. We are altogether cast down, undone, altogether gone out of the way, unable, unwilling, etc., etc., Or C. He says we we should be well acquainted with our own case. We should know what we lack, what we need, uh, spiritual as well as temporal. And so, being told to ask presupposes that we actually have some sense not only of our state of need, not only of our inability to help ourselves, but also of the particular things which are needed for us. So providence has cast our lot in such a way that each of us will have uh, various differing needs. Right? There are points of overlap, uh, there are also points at which we, each of us, will have something, uh, some needs, spiritual and temporal, of a very individual nature. Okay, and that's exactly why, as we talk about this prayer, um, because of those areas of overlap and and those areas where it's very individuated, prayer is done at various levels, right? We do it as um, 
church. We do it as families. We do it as individuals. Uh, we do it in times of fellowship when we're together with some believers. We do it at times when we're apart, or we should. Okay, there are things that are common, and we can have common cause in our prayer. And there are things which are very much individual. Now, the interesting thing is that, uh, to pause on this for a moment, if we consider what he's said, what he said is that last point, God has told us to pray. Right? And, and we understand that um, the answer to prayer is going to be going to allow us to receive the bounties of providence in a very personalized fashion. What we understand then, if we consider the different levels of praying, is there are different levels of confirmation of, of God's gracious and merciful intentions in providence as we move uh, from a more corporate praying to a more individualized prayer. And so, that's not, they're all necessary in their own right. They're all important in their own way. Right. Uh, 4D... We should not only know what we lack, what we need, but we should also uh, we should understand how great the lack or need is. We should have a sense, you know, a proportion. You, know, you don't need. Uh, you don't need a candy bar in the same sense that you need or uh, would need, you know, your your daily food. In fact, you, if you think you need the candy bar, you probably don't understand the difference between, you know, a, a desire and, and a necessity. Right? It's, it's not the same thing. And he's saying that, again... Prayer presupposes that you're going to be able to make necessary distinctions, um, that you're going to be able to do this evaluation, and, and you're going to have a sense of, of um, proportionality. Right? You, you certainly can't think that... Um, some of the little things, even little necessities, are as important as the greater necessities. And so there's there's a sliding scale in life, and uh, for each of us, again, in our various connections, our various situations and circumstances, uh, those things are are moving up and down that scale, and in it's hard, it would be very hard for someone else to gauge 
precisely where um, this scale of, of um, uh, weighing what you lack or need, uh, where it should fall. You know, uh, Ibram Maslow, the psychologist, talked about the hierarchy of needs. That there are some things which are more primal in the world of needs. And, and he was right in, in that sense. And you should be able to distinguish, right? Not everything is as important. Not everything is as fundamental. Um, some things are fundamental to other things and not the other way around. So what he's saying is you... You should be aware of that. And if you're praying about these things, you're going to gain perspective on these things as well. Right? If you're not praying, you're not going to gain perspective. You, you, you're not really going to have a proper perspective. Because you're not going to be thinking about uh, things in this way you're going to be thinking simply about things in the moment and and you're going to make a conclusion that will have more to do with your momentary desire than than it will with with the um, the overarching question of whether or not it's something you really lack or need yeah. all right uh, five or e He says you should see you should be able to see your evils and, and the things you lack and such as can only be remedied and supplied by the Lord. Right, so again, um, we we want those good things to come from the Lord. And you need to perceive that they are only available in that way. You're going to have uh, have them in that in that sense. All right. From this, then, from these particulars, the, the three things that are presupposed of the Lord, three, the five things presupposed of us in the studio of prayer. Uh, John Brown derives several particulars uh, that are given for our learning and use. So the first particular we may learn for our use, 27. Uh, the first thing he says is all of this is what he's really saying is what is all of this uh, uh, designed to, to um, accomplish in in us, in particular, and so the first thing is, this: all of these considerations should bring us to admire the wisdom and goodness of God, who wants us to know and experientially feel 
that we are helpless creatures, poor helpless creatures. And, and he says, um, we are very ready to complain and quarrel with God. right? And the reason we are so ready to complain and quarrel with God is we don't really take that into account. But prayer is designed to make us uh, meditate upon that. He's all-sufficient. We are not only not all-sufficient, we're utterly unable, helpless, unwilling, um, cast down in ourselves, and so on. There's a second particular notice, 28... second particular... Um, is that we would come to understand something of the cause why it is why it comes to pass so many so often restrain prayer before the Lord and either neglect the duty altogether or go about it in a superficial and perfunctory manner So if we would consider those things, the three things presupposed to the Lord, the five of us, we would um, we would understand a little a little bit more uh, why people are so restrained when it comes to prayer, uh, either to neglect the duty altogether or to go about it in a perfunctory superficial, perfunctory manner. In other words, people who do that are deficient in some of those presuppositions, maybe all of them. So, what three reasons are given for the neglect? Well, this is first or B he says uh, they're too little at home or acquainted with themselves with their own case and necessity you very often they're they're just not pinched with uh, the reality of their situation. You know, everything's going well enough that they are able to ignore God. And hint, this is why uh, believers often face you know, these terrible challenges and speed bumps that unbelievers don't. It's God's way of calling you back to force you to pray or to try to I shouldn't say force, but to stir you up. To yeah, to stir you up, to call your attention to 
the neglect of prayer. And if these things don't do that, then again, it's it's an argument that you are just utterly insensible of your of who you are and what you are. The second um, second reason for the neglect, twenty eight C is people very often think that their maladies and their distempers, their problems, whatever, their wants, their necessities, are things that they can wrestle and wrestle through and they can gain themselves. In other words, they don't really believe that only God can give the the uh, remedy or outcome. Are these people who, who attend too much to the means and and not to prayer first and then yes. the means? Yeah, that can, it certainly is very much apparent in, in people that do that. And by the way, attending to the means apart from prayer, uh, attending to the means without first praying. Um. It's practical atheism. But also praying... And, and, and a number of Puritans will tell you that. It's practical atheism, yeah. But on the flip side, praying without attending to the means is... What would that be? Fatalism. Fatalism, okay. Yeah, Prayer is not telling us to neglect means. It's it's telling us that... Um, Pray for the blessings. We understand that, that, that God may have appointed means, um, but means are not... Uh, efficacious in and of themselves. So when God blesses means to the heathen, uh, it's it is a a mercy and a, and a common benefit that God bestows upon them. But it does them not only does it do them no spiritual good. Very often, in the end, it works a lot of spiritual harm. In, in the sense, and not because of what God is doing, it's because they don't receive it, improve it as they ought. They consume they, it they upon should, their lusts. Right, right. They, they consume it upon their own lust, and they, they should instead return thanks to God, but they uh, tend to say, you know, look, this is what my own hand, this is what I've gotten, this is what... Nebuchadnezzar, look at the kingdom of the eye. Yeah, this is exactly, they, they, people do this all the time. This is why, uh, this is a resistance to why uh, people, you know, feel the need to do things, you know, for themselves. You don't, um, and I think this is one of, actually, one of the, um, the downsides, if you will, of the um, the American experiment is it encourages people you know everybody to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps um, and while there is there is um, uh, and, and rightly so there there should be a concern for the proper use of means but that philosophy when pursued 
in an irreligious fashion uh, is an expression of practical atheism. That's what you get when we have a bunch of founding fathers who were atheists, right? Well, they were, yeah, they were deistic Deist. or whatever. <laughs> All right, so uh, 28D, uh, the third reason given for neglect is um, they doubt God's willingness to help. So they become despondent, they faint. And he said, and basically he says this is uh, very much the case of people, you know, if you don't get what you want from God right away, it's very easy to um, to conclude wrongly, to conclude uh, there's no point in all of this. And he says they uh, they listen too much to the devil. You know, they listen uh, and they aggravate their, their sins, their former abuses of the Lord's loving kindness, and it causes them to question if it's even possible to find mercy. You know, once you go down that road of doubting, it's not a good place to go. But if you, if you don't believe that God is going to answer prayer, why are you going to do it? You're just not. How do you justify it? Well, people justify it again. They justify it in a, in a number of ways, but ultimately saying uh, all your justifications for your doubts, it's a result of listening to the devil, aggravating your sins uh, before, uh, before God, your former abuses and so on, rather than rightly improving the situation by faith. All right, let's move on to the third particular notice, number 29. Third particular thing that we can learn for our use uh, is what frame or spirit, posture of mind, we ought to have when we approach the Lord in prayer. And, you know, we don't often think of um, the, our souls having a posture, but one reason why the Bible um, does talk about posture in prayer, and generally uh, has us, you know, praying in in um, ways that are more formally uh, conducive to that recognition is our outward bodily posture very often does uh, convey uh, a sense of, of our inward posture of soul. We are, our souls are disposed toward God in a, in a certain way. You know, when when we stand in prayer, 
and and we raise our hands, we're 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 really declaring uh, this, and this is the first the first of the two things to be fixed upon posture of our souls is that we ought to have a deep impression of us being creatures absolutely dependent upon the Lord uh, for our being and for everything we need. This is standing with your hands up. Well, I, I'm just saying, having our hands out when we're standing or being praying on our knees uh, where we're humbly beseeching. These are things that, that are uh, conveying an inward posture of the soul. You know, either we are, we are absolutely uh, dependent beings. That we are humbly beseeching God to uh, to allow us an answer to our prayers. And we're not presuming. Even though He's told us to do this, there's still that uh, that distance between us and God. That we're we're recognizing it. God has told us to draw nigh, uh, but again, it, it, this this has to do more with a proper self-assessment. Uh, yeah, we can draw nigh. We can. Uh, there's a sense in which we can become familiar with God. We can cry, "Abba, Father," and we'll talk about this more later. But we we do this in the tension of our being. Uh, recognizing it at another level, uh, simultaneously, that we're utterly unworthy of ourselves. Our worthiness is not something coming of our ourselves. Right. So twenty twenty nine B is to have a deep impression of being creatures dependent on the Lord. Twenty nine C, the second thing to be fixed <coughs> on posture of our souls, is that we should be particularly acquainted with our condition. Uh, so we may know what we stand in need of and what we are to seek. And that's important because everyone's case and condition varies as much as the dispensations of God uh, vary. And our conditions vary you know, depending on uh, the season of life and the uh, maybe from day to day even. So he raises an objection before he goes back to uh, fixing the posture of the soul. But he raises an objection, 30A. The first objection he considers. Is... is that um, he says, well then, what will such do as cannot understand how it is particularly with them? You can't get a sight of their particular necessities. Uh, all things lie so in, in, in confusion in their souls they can't, that they can speak nothing distinctly of themselves. What do you do 
uh, when you're in that kind of situation. And um, he answers that <clears throat> what you have to do is take that case of darkness and confusion as a particular case. This is B. Uh, this is... And so far from laying it aside, uh, to laying aside from this duty, you should, you should press into it. Um, basically saying, this is my condition. He quotes Heman here, Psalm 88, 6, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. So then, uh, he, he moves on to the third, the third particular. What, what's the third? Uh, third particular. And he, he sticks us in between uh, the first objection and the second objection. So this is going to be C. Um, and the third, the third particular thing that you should fix upon the posture of your soul. We should labor to get our hearts affected with these evils, to see them so as to be pierced and pinched and deeply affected with them. Now, I, I think that he does this because this is actually, um, there's, in my mind, there's a little bit of question as to whether or not this isn't also uh, part of his answer for what to do when you're in confusion. And that is, you know, you can one thing you can derive from that confusion is I'm a dreadful sinner, right? I'm, I'm, I'm so evilly affected by my sinfulness that this is what I've been brought to. I can't even, I can't even perceive my own necessities, what I, what I lack right now. Right, 30D, then what's the second objection considered? And the question, excuse me, um, the, the, the second objection is, what then can one do whose complaint is this? That their hearts can be affected and pierced with, with no such thing, and to whom this is the saddest part of their distemper. Have they been discharged from the duty of prayer? If you can't, you know, if you can't get your heart affected to see the evil. And so 30, this is actually 30E. 
the answer that he gives is this. Um, he says, look, there's no discharge from the duty. Hmm. Right? The very deadness and senselessness is a sad distemper. And so he says, we really, he says, we need to pray for help. And he says, the more the sense of senselessness touches and affects the heart, uh, the more the heart should be crying out for quickening. That's what the psalmist prays for, right? Quicken me? Yeah, and, and he, he actually he quotes David in, in Psalm 119.25, My soul cleaveth unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. But it's one of many places. You know, David does this quite a bit. Uh, crying out for a quickening. And by that, he's he's looking for just this. He's confessing, in essence, his uh, senselessness to his own situation. He's insensate to his own uh, particular condition. We we should be seeking and, and we should be fixing upon ourselves this uh, this sense of our depravity and we should be we should be affected by it. this is what we, remember we're, this is what we should be taking these are prerequisites to the duty of prayer what, I mean, what, what is it going to do if you have a sense of your insensibleness to, to um, your own evil? It's probably going to keep you um, humble in your approach to prayer. It's also going to make you uh, more aware of the absolute dependence you have on God. All right, 31, what is the fourth particular noticed? He says we should labor then to get such a sight of our own wants, that is what we lack, uh, so that we could see that they're beyond our own power to help and remedy the matter, in fact, beyond the power of all flesh, and that there's such as only God alone can satisfy. There's nothing... When we talk about some of these things we were just talking about, the the confusion and the darkness and so on, uh, that's not something that, that the arm of flesh can remedy, ourselves or any others. So, the idea again is that we are wholly lifted off of ourselves, we are wholly removed from any, any confidence in the flesh, we're not inclined in any way to um, to put our trust or to exhibit dependence upon uh, anything or anyone other than God. There's nothing else. And here he quotes uh, the psalmist saying, Shall I lift up mine eyes to the hills, from whence shall my help come? 
My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's, that's a good uh, and proper sense of, of um, a well-affected soul. Right, 32, the fifth, what's the fifth particular noticed? Uh, the fifth particular noticed is that, again, keeping all of what we said in mind, we should labor while addressing ourselves to prayer to have faith in God's all-sufficiency and omnipotency. And that should be fixed deeply on the heart. So that's the other the other side of it, right? The more we disavow ourselves and and um, our own sufficiency, our own ability to remedy uh, these lacks and needs, spiritual and temporal, the more we're going to reach out to God, to fix our hearts greatly on God, and and that. He says that um, uh, many, many fall short of the mark because they don't really do this. You know, they're, they're always, you know, a lot of people are trying to mix in a little bit of what they can do. It's fallen human nature. You know, not, not what the Lord has done, but what I have done. Look what I have done. Look what I have done. Look what I have done. And again, the more you're inclined to that, the more you need to be in a subservient position um, in life in general. Right? Because if you're not, it will ultimately it will be spiritually disastrous for you. The more independent you are um, when, when this is your mindset. That's, it's an entirely different point of view from the point of view of prayer. So it's, it's encouraging you to remain... Uh, apart from the duty of prayer. You're not going to pray. You know, when you think, I can do this on my own, at whatever level, you're just not going to pray. When you realize you can't, you won't, that's when you're, you're going to uh, turn yourself to God in prayer. But what Brown is really warning is this half-hearted um, attempted prayer. You know, you're going to miss the target. It's like shooting an arrow without the right pound string. You're not going to hit the target. The arrow won't even reach the target. All right, what's the sixth particular noticed? Number 33. Uh, he says that given all of this that we've said, we should then labor to guard against jealousies of God 
doubting his goodwill to send help and relieve us. So he quotes Christ in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And Paul, first Timothy two eight, uh, wills us to pray without doubting. Doubt is absolutely destructive to prayer. Doubt is like turning, uh, in, in a sense, turning the bow and arrow in yourself. You're not even shooting in the right direction. Thirty-four. Then, what would we see if we would come to the work of prayer right? He says we should labor to have large thoughts of the largeness of God's heart. We should understand His generous willingness and readiness to answer, despite our unworthiness, despite our former provocations, despite the abuse of his former mercies and favors. God is bigger, greater, more gracious than all of that. Than our covenant breaking? Yes, he's, he is the ultimate covenant keeper. He's keeping the covenant uh, on his end and our end. Which is why, you know, when you send... You have to get back up again. You have to renew faith in those covenant yes. promises because he can't break them even though you break them daily. Yes. And that's the whole yes. point of faith, right? The prayer of faith is to exercise your faith we're, on those we're, promises. We're exercising our faith with respect to this. His veracity to, to the promises. <clears throat> Correct. And so the last thing then in this chapter um, is 35. The last thing we can remember is... This and, and this will be something we'll discuss in more detail. We have to remember that what we are to pray for must be consonant to his revealed will. And that we pray in all submission to whatever, for whatever particular we're asking, as to both time and season and the manner of the granting of what we ask. So we, we have to pray according to the will of God. We also need to be in submission to God in, in our um, belief that he's going to answer. And we have to be submission in two ways. Uh, if, if we're praying for something according to the will of God, we have every reason to expect it. But we may have to submit in this respect. We do have to submit. Uh, it may come at a time when we didn't think, right? In a way or a manner in which it didn't uh, necessarily cross our minds. So we when we pray, when we ask, we can ask God to, as the psalmist very often does, 
arise, get up, go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. We can say we would like to see this soon, sooner rather than later. But that's no guarantee that God is going to do that because his timing, even for things where he's told us, you know, pray for this, ask for this. His timing is purposeful in and of itself. And so we have to wait his timing and then the manner in which he does it may not be the way you thought. You may have asked for something lawful. And God may give it to you in a way quite unexpected. But we, in, in receiving this return of prayer, this answer of prayer, um, we have to be prepared to receive it in that manner in full recognition that we are the ones who are utterly dependent and that there's this God who is much wiser than we will ever be who's doing all things right. Is he going to touch on in future chapters uh, you know the Lord I believe out my own belief like what yes, he's, okay. he's going to talk about all kinds of things there are, I mean, we're two weeks into this, and he's uh, he's got some 30 chapters, and a couple of them we're going to have to break up because they're so long. So uh, we're going to try to cover about a chapter a week, but um, uh, there are a few weeks I know where I'm going to have to break it up because it's so dense, and there's just, uh, they're, they're so large. Right. So, anyway, <clears throat> um, so the overarching picture is God is able, God is willing, God has commanded us to pray. On our side, what are we? We are utterly dependent. We are utterly unwilling and unable. We are utterly cast down. So we can't, we can't help ourselves. And yet he tells us to pray because who's better acquainted with what you lack or need than yourself? Other than God. Um, who's in a better position to determine that um, that scale of importance within the prayer other than God now that's not saying you will do it but prayer I think one of these prayer is encouraging you to do is to uh, set priorities, set um, set that hierarchy of, of uh, necessity in life. You are your best critic. Uh, 
if you are honest, you should see. So you should see your evils and and the things that you lack are things which can only be remedied by God. You need to be prepared to confess that. If you if you do all of that, what he's saying is, as long as you ask according to God's will. And are willing to submit to his time and manner of answer. Uh, if you pray in faith, if you if you get rid of all this doubting, that's when you can expect there to be an answer. You can pray. Uh, and again, I don't remember if Brown uses this term. He probably does, but um, a lot of the Puritans talk about expectant prayer. And, and what they mean by that is very much what we mean when we talk about a woman expecting. Right? You're, there, there's, there's the idea that the prayer is, in fact, um, that seed that impregnates and over time bears fruit. Right? It's, it, it's when, it, when it's done according to the will and promise of God. So we're going to talk about that, uh, all of that, you know, in, in future chapters. Next time, however, uh, we're going to, to go over the nature of prayer. So chapter 3 will be on the nature of prayer. That's what we're going to take up, Lord willing, next time. Question? <clears throat> no. We believe something, or we believe that we're, you know, Something's going to happen, or you know, we're going to be given something taken care of, but not. Is it something we should we should always pray for it? You know, petition God for it, or is it? It's according to His it, will, or is it temptation if we don't pray it's, for it's, it? If it's according to His will, yeah, that's it, the difference between the difference between. Remember the very first thing: the difference between. The people of God and everyone else is the people of God um, receive the bounty of God, but they've been told to receive it by means of prayer. The reprobate receive good things from God by reason of his general mercy, but they have no reason to particularize and conclude from that that God is particularly merciful to them, whereas believers do. And, and, and they do... Because God has, has said, pray, and I'll answer that prayer. Okay, what I'm saying, if, if we're already expecting something, maybe we don't pray for it, because we're already expecting, believing God's going to do it, is, it, is, that, is that sin? No. All right, so next time, the nature of prayer.